Okay, everybody, we're about to get ready for this next session. Uh, we have seen a lot about how discipleship looks around the world and touched a little bit upon how it looks in this country. But the important question now is how do we live our life of discipleship within the context of our Western North American crazy lifestyle? Uh, and for that, again, we want to bring Todd and Eric back up to kind of show us the way how we live discipleship in our world. So guys, take it away. All right, you got me? All right, um, here's what we want to do. We want to start sort of the way we started last time. We're talking about spiritual practices. We're talking about opening ourselves up and really paying attention to God. So we want to do that. And I want to do that with a passage of scripture that was teed up this morning with some of our conversation, particularly around the idea of learning to embrace our identity as the beloved, which in my experience working with Mission Alive for seven or for 16 years, um, 17 years, something like that. Um, yeah, in my experience, um, that is not a foregone conclusion right. that anybody has embraced their belovedness. It is far more rare than I would like to think. In fact, I can look back at times when that was becoming a reality for me. And I want to suggest that it is the beginning of disciple, of being a disciple and making a disciple. Even though, for me anyway, it took me a while to get there. Okay, and here's, here's what I want us to do in order to kind of take you into that same play, take you to that same place. I want everybody to close your eyes, bow your head if you want, whatever. We're gonna sit in silence for a minute. You may understand the idea of centering, but that just kind of means calm yourself and shut everything out as best you can. Turn your attention to God. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna read a passage of scripture and we're just gonna let it sit for a second and then we're gonna talk about it uh, for just a moment and then we'll jump into our, our session. So go ahead and, uh, and just start, start kind of a slow breathing process. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Sit with that for just a moment.
Um, all right, turn your attention back up here. So at the time that this pass, then this occurrence happened, Jesus's baptism. Um, remind me. I know we got some Bible scholars in the room. Remind me. Um, how many sermons had Jesus preached at this point? How many miracles had he done? I mean, dude, I could keep going through those zero, zero, zero. As far as we know, as far as we know, at the point in Jesus's ministry, where he hears the spiritual voice of the heavenly father. Mm -hmm. And that voice says to him, you're my son, I love you. And furthermore, I like you, right? Mm -hmm. At the moment that he hears that, he has not accomplished anything except maybe building a table and chairs. <laughs> okay. I am convinced, or rather I should say, I have become convinced mm -hmm. that at some, at whatever point we were baptized into Jesus and we in that very infantile kind of way accepted the Lord as our Father, somewhere echoing across mm -hmm. the heavens, that same voice was heard saying, Audrey, Audrey, is my daughter. I love her and I like her. Mm -hmm. Steve is my son. Mm -hmm. I love him and I like him. Mm -hmm. Amy is my daughter. I love her mm -hmm. and I like her. Mm -hmm. Asher, mm -hmm. sorry, sorry. I've heard, I've known your name your whole life. But. <laughs> Asher mm -hmm. is my son. I love mm -hmm. him and I like him, mm -hmm. right? Imagine that at the beginning of your walk with God, mm -hmm. your beloved sonship or daughtership was firmly and fully established. God likes you just the way you are. You've got nothing to prove. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we have in the remainder of the Gospels is what happens right. When you walk with God assured of your belovedness, right? That's what you get. Mm -hmm. You get the life of Jesus when people walk assured of their role before the Heavenly Father. They got nothing to prove, and all their insecurities are pointless because God's got it taken care of already. Mm -hmm. Can I dive in? Please. Um, my wife and I, we've been married for 30 years, and um, we got this practice. Uh, I am Habib. She gave me a new name. I'm Habib. And she's Habiba. Habib means to be the beloved. Habiba is the female version of the beloved. And when we call that name to each other, what we're saying is what beloved fully means, which is you'll never outlove me. Can't do it. I like to see you try. And so, what happens to just a couple who are connected to the notion of you will never outlove me? I like to see you try. 
Now that would be powerful. But to be in relationship with God, who says, son, you'll never outlove me. I'd like to see you try. And I'm like, mm-mm, I love you, boy. Like to see you try. All of a sudden, if there's any competition, it is about who is going to outlove each other. I like how you say that, that God is speaking over us saying, you are my child and I love you and you please me, right? And think, as you say, what is the notion of living out your belovedness on a day-to-day -day basis? Mm -hmm. It's a powerful, powerful way of doing faith. And when it comes to discipleship, it is utterly important. And my man Philip was saying that. Did I get the name right, Philip? Yeah, um, uh, is 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 on to something. And and Matt echoed this. What you don't want is to do discipleship from a place of self-loathing mm -hmm. and brokenness. Okay. Probably the better way to say it is self-loathing and from the ego, right? Because the ego is predicated on self-preservation, self-promotion, and self-satisfaction. And when I do that, I typically move towards power and control. And um, when we talk about the vestiges of discipleship, particularly in the churches of Christ, and why a lot of people and uh, churches in particular are afraid of that, they've seen examples of discipleship done from brokenness, self-loathing, and ego. Mm -hmm. And it always goes wrong. But what if you replace brokenness, self-loathing, and ego with serving from your belovedness of God? Then as you say, man, it's, it's not about me telling you what to do. It's about partner, being in partnership with you and God and saying, what is God inviting us into? Which gets us to the, the, the key question um, for this session, which I, I, I'd ask you to, to dive in, man, is like, what does this look like on a, a, on a congregational level from your, your take? Um, so uh, several thoughts come to mind. Um, it has, first off, let me start kind of from a negative posture, <laughs> and then I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna move us to a more positive mm -hmm. view, a proactive view. Um, it is not about bragging rights. This is not about, discipleship has nothing to do with bragging rights. Mm -mm. In fact, if it's got anything to do with bragging rights, it's probably because we haven't embraced our belovedness, right? right? We're still trying to do what we do mm -hmm. to build self up, but that's because we haven't embraced that God's already built us up. We're cool with God, mm -hmm. right? And now we're trying to impress other people. But so much of what we do in church is driven by this kind of got something to prove or want to have bragging rights or you know all kinds of different weird motives so um, what that means is 
I strongly discourage churches from going and pulling a discipleship program off a bookshelf somewhere and just plugging and playing. Mm -hmm. And my, my encouragement is just pray that God will lead you in your place to disciple people. Mm -hmm. I mean, the simple, pro you know, we probably could pull a bookshelf off to do a, dis a dis mm -hmm. discovery Bible study, but that is so simple, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is not, isn't, it's just getting old to say it's not rocket science, but I don't know what else. <laughs> it's not neuroscience, it's, I don't know what, it's not astrophysics. I mean, this is the way of Jesus. Yeah. And so it's not about, it's not about all that. I would say on a congregational level, you want to pay attention to two things, and, and I'm gonna use this whiteboard mm -hmm. to kind of illustrate this. Let me, uh, um, can I erase this? Please, yeah. Um, and, and we have various ways we talk about this, but um, the, perhaps the quickest and easiest way would be Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is Psalm 1 because the ancient scribes who are over in captivity in Babylon were mm -hmm. trying to figure out a simple way of teaching Israel the way of walking with the Lord. And so they essentially said, all right, we're going to boil it down into the simplest possible terms. There's two ways. A way that follows the ways of the world and the way that follows God. It's not rocket science <laughs> or astrophysics. It is pretty simple. You got to pick a way. Um, who, who's got a Bible handy? I just need somebody to read. Will you read Psalm 1, 1 through 3? Anybody with a Bible, you're welcome to follow along. But Psalm the first Psalm, verses one through three. I mean, you don't get to the beginning of Psalms more than this. Go for it. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Okay, everybody's familiar with this. Have you been in church? you know, a little while, you're familiar with this passage. The way of the Lord, you either follow the way of the wicked, the mocker, the whatever, or you follow the way of the Lord who meditates on the law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, the, the stream there is referring to the irrigation canals that the Babylonians cut off of the Tigris River to grow fruit trees and vegetables and, and whatnot. So, the, the word planted in Hebrew is not planted as in, oops, the tree happened to grow in that spot. <laughs> it's literally the word transplanted. That makes all the difference in the world when you realize that what the, those early, that early psalmist was saying is, the way you follow the Lord is intentionally put yourself right by the source of life mm -hmm. where you intentionally pull mm -hmm. up that, that you drink deeply of that source of life. Mm -hmm. You guys getting, am I going, is this making sense? Okay. And then it actually takes it a step further. 
And it says, when you have, in my language, drunk deeply of that source of life, this is the way of the Lord, man, you're right? This is de a description of what it looks like to meditate on the law day and night. It is like a tree transplanted next to an irrigation canal that drinks deeply. And then what does it say? What happens when it drinks deeply? It bears fruit. So we have a process and we have a product, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. So drinking deeply of God, we can call this all kinds of things. I mean, prayer is a way, worship is a way we drink deeply of God. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, in general, give it the title contemplation, but it could be spirituality, it could be spiritual disciplines, could be any of that, okay? But I'm gonna call it contemplation. Okay, and I'm gonna call the other one bear fruit, right? So we have this concept that within the life of someone who is living the life of the Lord, there is contemplation and the consequence of contemplation is that we bear fruit in our life. I'm gonna put that one over here. Now, what if we got a little wild and crazy with these two concepts and turned them into continuums where each of us could take a good hard look at our life and go, how am I doing on contemplation? Am I really drinking deeply, right? Am I really receiving the blessings, the giftings, the resources that God has? What if I put that on a continuum? Mm -hmm. All right, zero down here, 10 up here, you know, maybe here's midway. And you could say, ah, you know what? We're not doing this for anybody else. I don't get to tell you what your number is. <laughs> it feels lately like I'm kind of a four, maybe a three. Not really been in the word much, not been praying much not really been investing much, not been, not been drinking deeply much of God. I'm kind of in holding pattern. Okay. But we could also do that with bare fruit, right? We could look at our life and we could say, is there any fruit coming out of my life? Is my life producing anything with the power of the Lord? Right? If I'm drinking deeply, Psalm 1 says, the consequence of that is that fruit is born. Is there any fruit? Am I doing anything? Right? Well, what if we did the same thing? Now we have, if you will, bear with me here. This whiteboard is our spiritual life. And we have a way of imagining where we are in our spiritual formation, in our discipleship. Because if we find ourselves at a, you know, a four and a plus four, well, we're over in this quadrant. And if we're at a four and a two, we're down here in this quadrant. Everybody tracking with me? Okay. 
Now, what if we understood what these quadrants are like? Mm. Mm. High in contemplation, high in drinking deeply, but not very high in fruit bearing. Uh, I just blanked on the name. Candace? Was that the, the, remember? the comfort? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, um, all right, we'll just call it comfort since I'm blanking on the name. Okay, this quadrant is kind of a comfortable quadrant. This would be sort of like a, a cruise ship, right? Mm -hmm. The point of the cruise ship is not to be productive, mm -hmm. right? It's to just enjoy and soak in, mm -hmm. right? And we all need those moments of soaking in. So when we spend lots of time, whether it's in scripture or in prayer or in worship, Bible study, whatever it is, without much fruit bearing, we're kind of in this quadrant. Down here, uh, we call this frenzy, <laughs> right? Because here we're spending a lot of time, we're doing a lot of things, we're producing a lot, but it's not coming from drinking deeply from the Lord, mm -hmm. right? You guys with me? Mm -hmm. um, and so, frankly, uh, sometimes when I teach this, I'll have people, I'll have people on church staff say, mm -hmm. "I live here, so the rest of my church can mm -hmm. live here." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that convicts me because mm -hmm. I think I've done that, mm -hmm. right? Where, where we have a lot of Christians that want to live up here, they don't want to have to do the hard work, the fruit bearing, the looking for how God wants to use them in the world. We hire people to do that, but those people end up doing so much of it mm -hmm. that they're kind of living in this frenzy kind of life. This, <laughs> this is apathy. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is low, low, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's not there at all. It just means it's there in low amounts. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I'm not really investing much in drinking deeply of the Lord, and I'm not really doing that much either. You know, I might go to a, an event here or there, or, you know, I might go to worship every now and then, or, you know, once or twice a year, I'll read my Bible because, you know, I know I should, or whatever, right? I'm not trying to be snarky about it. I'm just saying, ah, this is, actually not not uncommon at all to live in this kind of apathy where we're not really deeply invested at all this mm -hmm. this is discipleship yeah right i lead a church planting organization that is deeply committed to missional a missional view of the world. This is missional living, right? This is living your life in that rhythm between drinking deeply and bearing fruit. And it's not like we're not ever aiming for 10-10, never. Because 10-10 means you're always maxing out on drinking deeply and always maxing out on, that's just not real, right? What we are looking for it's kind of a rhythm, mm -hmm. right? That, that kind of flows. It's actually a rhythm kind of in here or mm -hmm. wherever the halfway mark would be of kind of moving seasonally between drinking deeply and bearing fruit, mm -hmm. right? 
And so on a congregational level, congregations can go through the same kind of rhythm where we spend some time really drinking deeply and the question is always out there, what is God calling us to? What is God calling us to? And there comes a time in which we need to kind of slow down the drinking deeply and bear a bunch of fruit. But then when you bear fruit, when you do things in the kingdom, it inevitably, it inevitably creates questions that you're gonna have to go back to the Lord with. You're gonna have to go, what do we do with this, mm -hmm. right? And so we go back to drinking deeply. Mm -hmm. Let me ask if there's any questions about this. So um, when we think about congregational discipleship, I think we're thinking about, or I think we should be thinking about, not just what do we do in the individual moments, what does this look like mm -hmm. kind of when we zoom up and we think about the life of a congregation over months and years and what do we need to be paying attention to? And I would say at the highest level, we need to make sure our congregation is, is having not just congregational contemplation or drinking deeply, but individual contemplation mm -hmm. and drinking deeply. And that anybody that isn't, that's somebody we want to really pay extra attention to. And then same way, if, if they're doing lots of drinking deeply, but, but they're not actively giving themselves to mm -hmm. any kind of productivity, mm -hmm. fruit bearing. Well, I think we see in the life of Jesus, we, we were in Luke earlier, you know, you look at Luke four through nine, there is this really, or really four through 10, there's really this interesting rhythm mm -hmm. in Luke four through 10, where Jesus goes off onto the mountainside and in, um, secret places and he prays and he spends the night with God. Then he comes down and he goes into ministry. And then he goes back up into a secret place or out to a solid place of solitude. And then he comes back and he calls his disciples. And then he goes back into solitude and he comes out and he does more ministry. He heals a bunch of people and feeds a bunch of people. I don't think that's by accident. Mm -hmm. I think Jesus is showing us what does a life of discipleship look like when you're needing to live in this dynamic tension of drinking deeply of God, but not getting so fixated on drinking deeply with God that we're not actually doing something in the world. Mm -hmm. All right, help me out. Well, and, and, and this dynamic is the same dynamic that Jesus invites his disciples into, right? You know, it, it says that Jesus went to the top of the mountain and then he called to himself those he wanted that they might be with him and have the power to heal the sick, cast out demons, all of those things. We can't get to the doing without being part of the being, right? Mm -hmm. Being with Jesus, spending time in that intimacy with Jesus. And, and this is the model that we have for, for each other in discipleship. When we're calling each other into discipleship relationships, we're not calling them into just doing. It's being so that we can do, okay? It has to live itself out in doing, but 
it is predicated on being with God, being with Jesus, being with one another as we try to, to, to figure out what this being looks like. Years ago, I had a guy tell me, after he heard me, you know, whatever I was ranting or raving about or whatever, he looked at me and he said, Todd, you are so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was right, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what that meant was I was living up here. Yeah. Right? I was so fixated up here, but I wasn't paying attention to what does that mean if I am drinking deeply, if I am heavenly minded. Right. What are the consequences of that? Right. Yeah. Is there any, does that come out anywhere in anything that's good at all in the world? Right. I mean, you certainly could never accuse Jesus of being so heavenly minded he was no earthly good. Right. 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 You couldn't accuse him of that. Right. Well, well think about this, okay, and, and, and you bring up my man, so we, we got to go there, okay, so I'm going to uh, give you a bit of a scenario in the life of Jesus, okay, so uh, somebody calls him to uh, heal his daughter, and Jesus is going with uh, the 12 and, and the, the multitude crowd around him, and then they said, what, a woman with an issue of blood comes behind him and touches him, uh, and we find out in Mark, a whole lot about this woman. We learn about her physical ailment. We learn about uh, how long it, it took. We learn about her economic situation because she gave all the doctors everything that she had, but instead of being made better, she was made worse. And what does Jesus say? He sensed that power came from him. And what did he ask? Who touched me? And I love the disciples' response because it would be my response, dude. <laughs> you see all these people around you and you ask who's touched you? And it says the woman came down and fell before him and had this moment of intimacy with Jesus. Okay, so the question is, what do we see Jesus doing? thoughts from 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 that text and I mean and think think about it what, what 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 are the ways of Jesus that's what I'm getting at he was paying attention. right he was paying attention he was not only paying attention to what's going on outside of him he was paying attention to what's going on inside of him right what else do we see Jesus doing Right. He was interruptible, right? And, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm, I'm a very structured person most days, and I have my day planned out the way I planned out my day, and then somebody knocks on the door. And the question is, am I willing to be interruptible? That's a way of Jesus, okay? So keep in mind, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I wanna place this in, in your thoughts. We got the ways and teachings of Jesus, right? We are apprenticing into the ways and teachings of Jesus. I have the spiritual gift of being a jerk. 
<laughs> and so for years, I haven't done this in a long time, and so I'm kind of describing it because I don't want to be a jerk and actually do it. But when I was much younger and much brasher, I would be doing these talks and it's like, hey, everybody named me a teaching of Jesus. And I really doubled down and say, we're the churches of Christ. And if we are the churches of Christ, shouldn't we know what the core teachings of Jesus Christ are? Let's name them. And I would get to the board and nobody would say anything. I might if I push it and say they were on a mountain and Jesus was giving a sermon. Can we name one of the core teachings of, oh, the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, oh, okay, we got that. You know, so we get the Sermon on the Mount. But he, here's the thing. In a discipleship relationship, and this is where I literally started the work of discipleship. Anytime I'm discipling a college student or anybody, one of the things that I ultimately want to get to is the core teachings of Jesus, right? All of those big passages where there's a whole bunch of red letters in your Bible, I want to sit down with that and I want to sit with a person and I want to go through those things and I want to pray about it and talk about it and think through it, not for the acquisition of information, but for two things, so that not that I can get through the Word of God, but that that Word of God can get through me, and that the Word of God can get through us, and then extrapolate together, well, what does that look like? And the way that I usually ask that question is, if we took this passage seriously, what would it call us to do, right? And so we just sit with the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. We sit with all of those parables, uh, particularly the, the lost parables of Luke. We, we look at the Olivet Discourse. We look at all of those things as if Jesus is a master teacher, is a rabbi, and we want to know, because we've apprenticed into the teachings of Jesus, and, and, and realize what we can do with them. And then I want to study the way of Jesus, the behaviors of Jesus, the characteristics of Jesus. So let, let's, let's do this really quick exercise now. Now think about the Jesus, because we love Jesus and we know who Jesus is. Tell me about some characteristics of who Jesus is. Let's talk about the way of Jesus. Just start naming them out. What do we know about the, how Jesus behaved, his, his personality, his character? He's interruptible. Right? He has some awareness, internal and external. What else? Compassionate. Compassionate. What else? Patient. patient. Oh, patient. He was patient. What else? Radical. radical. It's in a number of different ways, right? And it's a radical nature that's not ripping stuff up but bringing an awareness and, 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 I, and when you say radical, I think about the, the truest sense of that word radical, which is, is almost like the religion where it, it's ligamenting, rerooting in what it is. Jesus was radical. What else? Forgiving. Man, you talk about a, 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 a skill set to develop, to be forgiven. What else? What, what else do we know about the character? Expecting. Expecting, wasn't he? What was always, God's going to do something, right? What else? What do we know about the character of God? He was uh, jealous. 
Yes, he was jealous for the kingdom, for, for Jesus, for, for God. It's like, we're we, we not, we not, we, we not looking at these other idols. We're not looking at these substitute things that most people uh, uh, organize their thoughts, feelings, behavior uh, around. We, jealous, what else? Non-judgmental. Non-judgmental, right? Who, whoever it was, what else? But also direct. But also direct, had the capacity, right? Had the ability to not only be judgment, not be judgmental and to be direct, powerful. That's most of the reason we don't hold each other accountable because we don't know how to do that skill well, that we make it an either or proposition, don't we? And if, because I can't do it either or, I just don't do anything or I just pick one, which is I'll allow you and watch you stick a fork in a, a light socket or I'll beat you down and like, what are you stupid for putting in, you know? So, but, but what if we develop the skill set to do both? What else do we know about true bit about the way of Jesus? He was willing to offend. Yes, he had the ability to do that. He had the, the ability to do that well. What else? <coughs> he was very smart. He was a good student. Great student. Brilliant student. To the degree that he wasn't teaching facts, he was inviting people into wisdom, right? Okay, now another question. Who are you when you are at your best? If you could think about the fully realized you, what are some of those characteristics? Confident. Hmm? Confident. Confident. Uh-huh. What else? Patient. Patient. What else? Encouraging. Encouraging. Selfless. Selfless. Hmm. Are y'all seeing some similarities? <laughs> hmm? And, and, and this is the trick. When we are at our best, when we are made whole, we are like Jesus. If we put the characteristics of Jesus in one list and the characteristics of what it looks like to be fully human, to be fully whole, to be transcendent, it's the same list. But how do we get there? Okay. So, Todd and I have, have journeyed through a couple of, you, you know, and that was a really good, um, uh, the, the uh, t tell me the, the, the Bible, uh, the Discovery Bible, right? great tool, great tool. I love it because it's simple, right? Anybody, just about anybody could do it. And, and as you say, what you need, a Bible, maybe a pen, maybe a pen, but a piece of paper with these questions and you start, we can get to that. Todd actually shared years ago with me a whole bunch of models like this that he not only taught me, but he taught me how to teach it. And he said, Eric, next week, you're gonna show this to me. I'm like, I am? He's like, yeah. 
and then I would do an adequate job with it. And he said, you did a really good job. And I'm like, no, I didn't. But he was encouraging. <laughs> and showed me, okay, no, literally did great job, except remember, and I'm like, man, thank you. And then he said, hey, next week, what I want you to do, I want you to find three people and I want you to show it to them. And, and, and here, this may, I'll make it easy for you. Do it terribly. Don't, don't try to be extraordinary. Just try to do it. All right. And I would go and I was like, hey, dude, man, crazy thing. I'm hanging out with this dude named Todd. <laughs> this is a little embarrassing, but <laughs> he gave me this assignment. And so can I show you this thing? And they were like, yeah, dude, it's whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I took a piece of paper. It was usually a napkin because I was at a coffee house and I would draw this, this thing. It was like, okay, let me describe contemplation. And they're like, all right. And I, let, me, let, let me talk about bearing fruit. And they're like, all right, cool. And they're like, man, what if, and I'm using Todd's same language <laughs> and, 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 and the same mannerisms. And he was like, dude, where you get that from? I was like, this dude named Todd, I know it's crazy. <laughs> and we had this conversation and all of a sudden, the guy is getting excited about it. And I was like, well, that was weird. And then I come home and I was like, baby, okay, you know, I've been hanging out with this dude named Todd. And can I show you something? And my wife was like, of course, dear. And I show it and she starts asking questions. Well, what about this? And I was like, I know, right? Ain't this crazy? And I find a third person. And then I got a meeting with Todd the next week. And I'm like, hey, dude, you won't believe this. <laughs> I showed three people this and it was It went so good. And he affirms my joy. He affirmed my enthusiasm that I experienced from the enthusiasm that other people had, right? And then all of a sudden, I was like, well, man, if I could do this, I could do this with the ways and teachings of Jesus. And all of a sudden, I'm trying different models. And then Ty said, this is years later, this is probably two or three years ago. It's like, hey man, you know I showed you these models. One of the things I just simplified is, what if we showed people how to pay attention to the Holy Spirit in two places, in scripture and in their lives? You know, you should probably show three people that. <laughs> I did better. I got six people together and I started a discipleship circle and I was like, look, dude, I got this friend Todd and we, we spent, um, well, honestly, we were supposed to spend six weeks. It turned into 15 weeks. And then towards the end of it, they said, can we take this? This was the dean of the law school and he said, I want to take this to the law school. I was like, dude, whatever. And so they started a discipleship circle. You see, how does this look where the rubber meets the road? There are a couple of things that we already know to be true. We know that we have access to the ways and teachings of Jesus. That we can extrapolate how we can talk about those things. 
And as you say, we don't have to um, pick something out of a bookshelf and not tailor make it for us. Tailor make it for yourself. Really discern together, like what, what are the characteristics of Jesus, uh, the ways of Jesus, the behaviors of Jesus that we would like to model because we want to be our best selves. And we're gonna pick three or four of them and we're gonna find a way to teach through these. And we're going to get a few people together and we're gonna experiment with this. And not only are we going to talk about it amongst each other, we're going to hold each other accountable to go out and teach it to other people. And once again, it's not a thing about judgment, because if, if we get together and all of a sudden we're saying, well, who did you talk to three people? It's like, no, I only talked to one. What's wrong with you? No, it's not that. It's like, okay, well, it, 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 I think, uh, and Matt, you brought this a, a really great question, and it's a really sacred moment. When nobody does it, it's actually a good moment. It's a weird moment, but it's a good moment because it's a, a, a time to say, what do you think was the reason why we didn't? And we get a chance to have a discussion about that, and it brings awareness to a whole lot of things. Okay, so whether it's, these, whether it's questions, whether it's the ways and teachings of Jesus, whether it's uh, 3DM's, uh, uh, what were they, life shapes. Uh, life shapes. Life shapes. It's any number of things that we as a small group of people can do, as long as that coaching piece is on there to send out and return back and pray about and talk about it. So thinking about what does this look like when we begin to live this out in space and time, right? We get out of a workshop like this and we actually try and go do something out there. Um, I, I don't know Homewood that well anymore. It's been 20 plus years since we left, but I still have a sense of who you are. I travel a good bit. I speak in a lot of churches. I have a sense of who you are. And I can say this with confidence. If you really give yourself to go down this road, you will experience turbulence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we would say Jesus was all about loving God and loving his neighbor and mm -hmm. he got crucified. Mm -hmm. Because our world does not respond well mm -hmm. when people are not able to be manipulated, yep. when people are just driven by love. Our, our world just doesn't, and frankly, it's not so much our world, but sometimes our structured religious groups, mm -hmm. they don't respond well to that. So when you live and walk the way of Jesus, it is going to create issues. We call it turbulence. So we, we have what we call the turbulence principle. The turbulence principle is this. Planes are frequently found at the airport, but airplanes were not built for the airport. Mm -hmm. Have you guys heard this before? <laughs> planes were built to fly, and anytime you fly in an airplane, you will experience turbulence to some degree or another. Mm -hmm. Anybody want to take a guess on how many people have been killed because of turbulence in airplanes worldwide in the last um, 60 years? Anybody want to just take a guess, wild guess? 
Huh? 100,000. 100, Somebody else, give me a guess. Huh? Five? <laughs> That's a long thing. Huh? <laughs> Zero? <laughs> there was one plane that crashed in Japan in like 1971 or something like that because of turbulence. How many airplanes are in the air all the time ever since 1971 and one crap because why? Because airplanes are built for turbulence and so are churches. Churches are robust or should be mm -hmm. churches walking the way of Jesus are robust enough to sustain the turbulence that comes when the church is walking the way of Jesus. But be assured, it is going to come. Just because you're walking the way of Jesus is no mm -hmm. guarantee that it's not gonna be tough and it's not gonna be turbulent. It is, okay? So when you guys are down the road two or three years from now, you start hitting some serious headwinds, don't call me up and say, Todd, what'd you get us into? I'm telling you today, <laughs> There is going to be turbulence. Mm -hmm. But after all, airplanes were not built to sit at the terminal. Mm -hmm. And the church is not built just to occupy that room. Mm -hmm. Right? We are the very presence of God in this world. Mm -hmm. God has infused in us. When, when we get all nerdy and theological, we call it the theology of incarnations, mm -hmm. not just that God was incarnated in Christ, mm -hmm. but then through the Holy Spirit, we become the very incarnation of Christ mm -hmm. in this world. So much so that at the beginning of Acts, you guys have heard this a lot, right? Luke is able to say to Theophilus, in my former book, Most Excellent <laughs> Theophilus, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and mm. preach, mm. implying that in this book, Acts, I am telling you what Jesus is continuing to do through the church. Mm -hmm. That's what we get to do. But it's not easy. It comes with turbulence. And, but it's the only thing to do, right? Right. And it's exciting, man. And yeah. I, I, um, when uh, Todd and I had been, uh, been talking about uh, this session, uh, he asked me what this looks like. And my first response is, was, we become a community of credible witnesses to Jesus. And I'm gonna tell you, it is nothing more exciting to be in the presence of a credible witness for Jesus Christ, because they can't stop talking about Jesus. And they talk about it in a way that's not theoretical. It's not conceptual. It's like, man, have you seen what Jesus can do? I was talking to this drug addict, man, and all of a sudden, we, we got in this conversation about Jesus, and it, 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 it made this shift in his life. And we were able to, and, and, and you can't stop them talking. Now keep in mind, this is not an evangelism program. This is not an evangelism uh, tool. This is just somebody who 
encounter Jesus in a profound way and they can't stop talking about it. But then you get a, a cohort of credible witnesses and I'm talking about two or three. That's that's that yeast that 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 uh, uh, what is it impacts the whole lump. You get two or three people that are credible witnesses for Jesus Christ and you get them in the same room and you throw somebody in there. They can't help but get excited about Christ as well. And and it starts building. And and this is the thing I people. And it was interesting because um, I'm the preacher at the church on Pepperdine's campus and Pepperdine reaches out to me and says, hey, we're thinking about doing a discipleship program. How would you do that? And I said, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do a program. I would do discipleship. I would if I were you, and this was somebody that worked for the university, think about what are some of the core teachings of Jesus? Or, or think about what, what, what some of these easy, uh, uh, sticky ideas are about Jesus that you could share with somebody and encourage them to go out and share it with some, some other people and have them come back in like the, the disciples did, like the apostles did with Jesus and you all discuss it and then get sent out again and then come back and sent out again and come back and all of a sudden you got a, a three people and all of a sudden, as you say, it's, 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 it's multiplication because they're going out and you're not saying now you got to talk to eight people. You got to talk to three people. It's like it just just go and talk to some people about these things, and it gradually move, grows exponentially. And that's not a program. That's not a tool. That's just kingdom work. So, Homewood, and whoever else is here. Um. If you want to do discipleship, just start with the people that have eyes to see and ears to hear. Mm -hmm. Just start with a few. And go on a journey together of paying attention to God. Uh, paying attention to God in scripture, as we've talked about, paying attention to God in prayer via the Holy Spirit. But then get outside the walls of this church and your home and go out into the community and pay attention to what God is doing out there. Mm -hmm. You want to get jazzed? <laughs> go out there and be surprised and shocked that God's actually already there. You know, <laughs> we don't have to actually bring God to the community. He's out there doing stuff. Been there. The question is, are we going to get on board with it? Yeah. And the way we do that is we pay attention and we ask him, God, what do you want us to do here? What can we do here? Let's get in scripture. Let's get together in prayer and listen, right? We have turned prayer so much into so much talking. <laughs> I have this old cartoon of God up in heaven going, la, 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 la. <laughs> you know, like, I can't take it anymore. Would you people shut up and listen? Okay. you want a disciple-making movement happening here and throughout the community, it starts with one person, one group of paying attention. Listen to God. In Scripture, ask the questions. 
What is God saying and how do I do this in my community? It is insufficient to know what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but you have no idea what you're to do today. That is insufficient. Mm. That is, after all, why we have the Holy Spirit. Right, right. Right? right. So, but if you haven't heard from God via the Holy Spirit in a while, it ain't because he isn't talking, it's because you're not listening. My Lord. So, please take that with the love I intended. <laughs> I'm not telling you my email address. <laughs> it's T-O-D. <laughs> um, learn to discern what God is saying in scripture, what God is saying in prayer, what God is doing in the community. And when you see him at work, you'll see him in work at you. As this moves throughout a congregation, you see God working through the congregation in ways that it seems shocking, but it's not really, it's just the way God works. Right? And then eventually you'll see him moving in the community doing things. I'm telling you, there is nothing that will yeah. give you a better high than that. Yeah. None, I'm telling you, man, it is, it is addictive. It, it is addictive. It is but it starts. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to be overly dramatic about this, but I would say it starts on your knees mm -hmm. before the Lord. God, show me. Mm -hmm. Open my eyes. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and feet to go and do what you want me to do. And then help me take a couple of people along with me. Mm -hmm. I, I want you to be able to, to uh, as you talk about plans, I want you to land this plane, but I got one more little tangent to, to share because I think it's important um, because um, we will have a tendency to default back into Bible studies when we do this. Just a warning because discipleship is really about entering into apprenticeship into the ways and teachings of Jesus Christ and you start with that that first generation and um, a lot of times we'll just have a tendency to say oh man we got three or four people here why don't we just start reading the Bible and praying and it just becomes really insular and it's only natural because outside there it's difficult and it requires vulnerability and compassion for the other and all those things and it's easy to default back and I've seen some of my uh, discipleship circles uh, fall back into a Bible study uh, because that's what we know but the, the accountability piece is keep holding each other accountable to be with God, to contemplate, and to do the work of bearing fruit. Willie, how much time we got? Are we done? Huh? Five minutes. Five minutes. Okay, I'll, I'll land it with this. Uh, last night I was with the, the elders and, and some of the staff and we had dinner and we talked a little bit. I shared with them two principles that I'll share with you guys today. These are principles I think you can pretty well hang your hat on. The first one, 
We call it the Vanguard Principle. Mm -hmm. And the Vanguard Principle is this, leaders go first. That is not just referring to elders and ministry staff as talking about anybody who would offer themselves to God to be used by him in the life of somebody else. Leaders go first. It is insufficient for us to tell other people to do stuff right. that we have not or will not do ourselves. Amen. I have heard way too many times churches say to the youth minister, why don't you go get your teens and take them on a service project on a Saturday? And, and nary an adult is there and when the youth minister asks for volunteers, he has to twist arms and break legs to get a couple of volunteers to go with the teens to do a service project that their parents and grandparents are unwilling to do. I promise you those teens are learning something. Mm -hmm. It ain't what we want them to learn, but they're learning. Mm -hmm. They're learning that adult mature Christians don't serve. The Vanguard principle is leaders go first. And when it comes to discipleship, if you want a congregation of disciples making disciples, it starts with you. If you're in this room, you didn't know it, but you're it, <laughs> okay? You're it, it starts with you. That's principle number one. Principle number two is the mustard seed principle. You guys know the passage in Matthew 13, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? It is itty bitty. It's the size of a grain, a grain of sand or even smaller, right? It is tiny. There are brown ones, there are black ones. If you have a couple on your hand, you're just gonna do mm -hmm. this because it looks like dirt. That's what a mustard seed is. Absolutely, thoroughly inconsequential. Valueless upon first inspection. That is what the kingdom of God is like. Unless unless you take that inconsequential, valueless little nugget and you plant it and you care for it and you are patient. Mm. If you come out the next morning and you're like, what is up with you? Come on. Patience, nurture, let God, what's happening in that little mustard seed below the ground? Mm. You know who cannot control that? You. You cannot control what's happening to that mustard seed, but somehow God in the way he works allows that little mustard seed to sprout, sprout roots, eventually a stalk, and Jesus says what? It becomes the largest of all garden plants, so large that birds That's can perch it. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It is made up of tiny little actions mm. over and over, faithfully done without any witness of no be, not being able to control everything, but just stay at it. Trust that the power of God is at work in the unseen places, in the hearts of other people, and in the community, and trust that God will work. One of our biggest challenges 
is we love to control things and we want to predict the outcome and so we only do those things that we can control the outcome. That is not the way of the kingdom. Way of the kingdom, mustard seeds. All right. We're going to take a break for about 10 minutes now. We'll wrap everything up. Uh, think about the questions that you have and how we move forward because that's what we're going to talk about next. <laughs>